Hello everybody and welcome to this week's In My Mug. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. The feedback was amazing from last week. You liked me being out and about and doing things a little different. So, we're going to have Virtual Steve. He's going to tell us all about the coffee. Then we're going to have a BBC-style interview with Stephen. Uh, Stephen Hurst is the owner of this week's uh, farm, and he's a really good friend of mine, and we'll find out more about that afterwards. Then I think I'm going to go out and sit in a park and drink some coffee, because the weather's lovely. But let's get on with this week's show. This week's coffee comes from Pazenda Inglaterra. Pazenda Inglaterra is a farm in Brazil in Minas Gerais region near to the town of Poços de Caldos. And it's been a coffee that we bought for over 10 years now from one of my very good friends, Stephen, who's going to join us uh, to tell us a little bit about the farm afterwards. Each year, Stephen works on the, the farm and kind of we bought everything, every single coffee from the farm. Um, but he always takes out a lot that he's going to explain to us that he uses for Cup of Excellence. This is that lot. So it's a very, very small, tiny lot that um, was picked out especially for its quality. It nearly made it through to the auction, so we very nearly didn't get this coffee this year. But I'm really, really happy that we have. Um, Inglaterra is somewhere that is very close to my heart because I've visited a number of times with Stephen, but we've also bought it ever since he's owned it. And there was the first year we shared it with Monmouth Coffee Company in London, but since then we've bought every single bean from the farm. It used to be called Toca de Onca, which means uh, home of the wildcat, uh, because there was believed the wildcat lived on the farm. Um, but unfortunately then it was abandoned. I'm showing you some pictures on the screen right now of just the work that's happened on the farm. So it's a lot more organised now. It's a lot clearer. There's a lot of investment gone into the farm. Um, the varietals on the farm are Ikatu, Akaya and Katayi and a little bit of Canario uh, and Bourbon. Um, and um, these varietals are incredibly typical for the area. In fact, some of them have been developed in that area. Um, the farm's elevation goes from 950 metres at the bottom at the ravine up to 1,300 metres. Uh, and on the satellite image, you can see uh, that it's 50% uh, of the bar farm is uh, forest and the rest of it is uh, eucalyptus trees that are planned as a renewable uh, harvest um, and then coffee. And uh, the farm has been kind of designed and maintained by one of my coffee heroes, that uh, we talk about in the video afterwards, uh, Gabriel Cavallo Diaz from Fazenda Cachoeira. Um, absolutely beautiful farm. I'm sure that you've been enjoying these uh, pictures of the farm on the screen behind me. But let's go to a Zoom call that Stephen and Stephen had together just this week. So I'm joined by Stephen. Uh, Stephen Hurst is the um, good friend, a long time friend, probably one of my oldest friends in coffee, uh, but also the, uh, what do we say, custodian of Fazenda Inglaterra in Brazil. Um, uh, how are you, first of all, Stephen? How is, uh, how is COVID times treating you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Uh, it's, it's weird. It's a strange, it's a strange time. You know, it's anybody would, nobody could say that it isn't. Um, you know, we try to adapt uh, along with the circumstances, but 
uh, our business is one which is exposed to the cafe and hotel and pub and restaurant sector, uh, and that's been closed, uh, not just here in the UK either, but pretty much uh, across across the world. So, yeah, difficult times adapting and, uh, and trying to do our best in the circumstances. Really. So you are currently in London, which means yeah. that um, I guess people can work out that you don't necessarily work on the farm. You're not your normal traditional coffee farmer. So tell us a little bit about how you got into coffee and how you ended up becoming the custodian of uh, a piece of uh, farming Minas Gerais. Yeah, but you told me, Steve, we only have 10 or 15 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, try, I'll, I'll try and sum it up pretty quickly. Um, I got in the coffee business back in the 1980s. I uh, worked for a large um, commodity trading company, a big one, one of the biggest in the world. And uh, that was my background, my history in, in coffee. After that company sort of, um, let's say, got out of the business or whatever, I started Mercanta, uh, which I started in uh, 1996 in the UK. Uh, about, we're coming up on our uh, 25th anniversary, which is next year. Um, and, you know, I've you know, loved coffee, been involved in the coffee business uh, for, for my lifetime. And in, I want to remember, it's like 2008, I think 2008, 2009, sometime around then. I do a lot of work in Brazil, a lot of friends in Brazil, lots of uh, contacts in Brazil. And one of those told me about the farm near Poços de Caldas that was available for sale. Like so many things, you know, I might be described as a custodian of the farm. In Brazil, it's very typical that the farm owners aren't all your typical coffee producers. Some dentists, some doctors, some yeah. lawyers, some uh, you know, media moguls. Uh, and in this case, I believe the ex-owners were restaurateurs, guys who had a restaurant somewhere and they had a bit of land because Sometimes coffee was a good thing, and later it wasn't. So in this case, uh, Fazenda Inglaterra was, uh, was known as Tosa de Onsa uh, back in those days, uh, hiding place of the uh, Onsa is like a wildcat, like a small jaguar type thing. Um, and it was known as that, and my friend said, uh, wow, would you be interested? And it was one of those, you know what it's like. It's, wow, a coffee farm, that's great, and, you know, sounds wonderful, and because the exchange rate, you know, things are reasonably affordable, I suppose, for the size of the farm and everything. So, you know, I got into it. I, I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll buy the farm, so to speak. And um, yeah, that would have been about 12 years ago. And it was abandoned. So, the, you know, because of the fortunes of the coffee business, the sort of, if you want to call non-real coffee producers who owned it, pretty much just said, oh my goodness, this coffee thing is much harder work than, than we thought. Uh, it's not just good enough to own a piece of land that's growing coffee. We have to work it and till it and, 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 and make improvements and cost, spend up some money, which is what I found out a lot in the meantime as well. So, you know, we've, I've owned it for 12 years now, and uh, that, the history of it is, is exactly that. It was a sort of an opportunistic, maybe you could say a dreamlike thing, but it came with some realities as well in, in the meantime. It's, it's nice to this. It's, 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 it's a great project, but it's not all milk and honey. <laughs> we'll get into that in a little bit I think because yeah. I think that is that is interesting because people who watched the In My Mug uh, have heard me say oh one day I'm going to own a farm and yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I, I particularly like Gabrielle saying when you first bought the farm uh, where uh, it used to be that every farm had a fool now every fool has a farm <laughs> in Portuguese or in English that's such a great expression and I saw Gabriel when I was in Brazil last year recently. It was a great surprise because he lives in Canada now. 
And uh, it, he showed up at a, it, it, what a great saying, I never forget it. And it's true, you know, he yeah. said every farm used to have a fool. Back in the old days, there was an old expression and now every uh, fool has a farm. So <laughs> there, is something, there is something to that, you know? <laughs> so, so what happens with the, the management of the farm? Because obviously, you know, you, you're, you're not there. Um, and I'm guessing running a farm um, takes a lot of input and a lot of support. And you were mentioning about friends that you have um, in Possos and, and, and things like that. So tell us a little bit about um, how the farm is managed and what inputs you have into that planning. Sure. Well, the, there's, there's three things, if you like, on the farm side, Steve. Uh, there's the day-to-day -day running. There's a family who lives at the farm. It's a, it's a couple and their children who live there. The children are getting a little older, going off to school and off to university and college now. But uh, the family lives at the farm, and the guy who lives there and his brother sort of, if you like, tend to the farm and look after it on the kind of the day-to-day -day basis. Then there's the, uh, if you like, the husbandry and agronomic side, where we have an agronomist coming once a week to look over things, what needs pruning, what needs fertilizing, what needs attention, what needs done on the path, you know, the, if you like the agronomy and, uh, and protocol side of the farm. And then there's the financial side, the bookkeeping, uh, spent money on the fertilizer, spent money on the patio improvements. So I manage those three things through the, the people at the farm, the agronomist, whom I'm in touch with all the time, and my friend Cristiano, who helps me with the, the financial side. So those three factors come together, and I have the financial information about the farm, the agronomy information about the farm, and the day-to-day -day workings of the farm. So after the farm uh, had been abandoned, we did recover about two, two to three hectares of the old growth had just been left and all grown up wild. So that was all properly pruned back. And then after that, of course, we planted some more, uh, some more coffees, much more in the attention of, we'd say, specialty coffee. We planted Bourbon, as you know, we planted Canario. So we recovered a little bit of the farm and, and planted about eventually four or five more hectares of new growth on, you know, higher slopes and, and this kind of thing. And there's still ample potential for that, to be honest with you. You also diversified the farm a little bit, though, too, didn't you, where you've kind of got some, some trees that you're using... Uh, on the farm as well that you planted is that right yeah we did um, one of the things back in the day and gabriel has some great stories about this as well he said my late gabriel carvalho diaz from the famous uh, owner of uh, fazenda cashewer de grama great friend and you know so well what kind of um sage this man is in the specialty coffee business what kind of uh, ca character and charisma he has I remember the last coffee farm he told, took me to had no coffee. It only had eucalyptus trees. He goes, come with me to my latest farm. And I got there, it was just eucalyptus. And back in like uh, 2010, no, probably even earlier, 2005, six, eucalyptus was a big thing. You could, you could sell it for, uh, it's a renewable. You know, you can plant it, sell it for paper. I think you can sell it in like nappies. People make nappies. Or it burns really hot for the steel industry and things like that. It's a great renewable. And I planted about four or five hectares of eucalyptus. I've never harvested them. They just get bigger and they'll get more board feet. But yeah. they also help secure parts of the farm where it's far too steep for coffee or perhaps really rocky soil. And they grow very well. They grow very straight and very true and help secure against erosion on the one hand and as a renewable resource. In the meantime, that business, along with the economy, is not but a massive um, potential for for you know for revenue because that business has also collapsed a lot but if the trees are there so four or five hectares of the farm are planted that i did in eucalyptus 
um, probably about seven of seven or eight hectares of coffee of which any part might be pruned and not under production any given year. So as you know, we get about typically something around a hundred bags of coffee yeah. off the farm each season, some, somehow or another. And so since you bought the farm, I got as excited about you owning it. And I think probably more excited than you were about it because uh, you got the realities of the bills coming in. I was paying the bills. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and so we've worked together on this project, kind of buying everything from you since the beginning. That's I think right. at the very, very beginning, we shared the first shipment. Uh, but since then, we've, we've just kind of bought everything. And yes, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, must, it must be 13 years now. I'm, I, I'm fairly sure that this year will be the 13th harvest. So. It could well be, because I think I bought the farm in eight. And there might have been some tiny quantity off of it then. You no, know, there was. I remember, yeah. I remember very much the first year that there was, there was something that we, we, we had. And... Uh, but it was like 10 bags or something like that. Something like, exactly, exactly. Um, well, this year, if you're quite right, the 12th or 13th year of it, it's fantastic, has been, has been uh, right from the absolute start from our friendship and also from knowing each other and how the potential of the farm as a sort of a classic Brazil, in a way, I'm a small producer there. I'm not, you know, we're, we're a small producer. As I say, the farm's got a lot of potential in a way because it's about 65 hectares seven or eight are in coffee, four are in uh, eucalyptus, and 35 is a net natural forest. You've seen it, you know it. It's a preserve. It's not a forest that's just, you know, you think, oh, this is Mata, the original Mata Atlantica, like primeval forest. And I've been in it, giant trees, all kinds of wildlife. There's toucans in there. There's uh, capybara down at the stream. There's uh, porky pines, woodpeckers. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely fabulous. And that'll never change. That forest is preserved by law and by my desire. I wouldn't ever do anything with it. So there's so a lot of... It's interesting you talk about the potential. Um, so like for, for a lot of people think of Brazil, they think of strip picking, they think of um, yeah. basically just like, you know, flats. Mechanical answers, flat, yeah. yeah. Why is Inglaterra different? What, 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 what do you do differently there? I mean, for instance, you don't strip pick, you know? It's no, not at all. We, we, you know, at Inglaterra, you, you know it very, very well, Steve. It's just very close to Postos, which is nice. It's nice and kind of accessible. Yeah. Um, I don't think you've seen it. You will, I think you'll love it. Last year when I was there, they built a, um, you know those roadside cafe things they have in Brazil, like uh -huh. on the road? There's one that couldn't have been built more spectacularly looking over Inglaterra right next door to it. So it's like a, um, what would you call it? A posada in Spanish, or it looks this fabulous vista, like a roadside cafe kind of, quite nice, with a deli in it, right next door to Inglaterra. So that's a fabulous kind of uh, say improvement. But because it's close to Pozos, that road is getting some building up on, and some, some things are coming along that road that leads out of Pozos. Uh, the farm, uh, the road level is about a thousand meters drops down to 900 where there's some uh, river that runs through it, as you know, and there's six springs on the farm. So the water, which I've actually, I've often thought, could we do something with that water? It's pure, coming right out of the ground, you know, right out of the earth, six springs. And then the farm goes very steeply up through the forest and up to about 1275 at the very top, 1275, which you could plant, it could plant right up there. So which, that's, is, which is actually super high for Brazil as well, is, isn't it? I mean, it is. 
Yeah, the average be, height is yeah, 900 to 1,100 meters above sea level. I've got to, if you can say the coffee's planted around 1,000, it's not planted down in the valley area where the river is, and then it's probably at 1,000 to 1,200 or 1,150 now, but it could get to over 1,2. And you know we've been entering the C of E. We've come so close with the top lot. Top You're going to have to explain COE because most oh. people watching won't know. So okay. that's the Cup of Excellence right. program, right? Yeah, you've Cup been very involved with since its formation and, and, and have been a big supporter of. Uh, but now you're also entering the competition yeah. as a producer. Correct. Uh, Cup of Excellence, yeah, sorry to explain. Going since 2000, uh, Mercanta bought a lot of Cup of Excellence in the very first auction in 1999. I just went on the 20th anniversary jury for the 20th anniversary of Cup of Excellence, which was in Brazil last year. Fabulous to see George Howe, Susie, and all the originals back again, and some of the original buyers from the very first auction. Um, really, it was a great event. So Cup of Excellence has been going, and in the last three years, we've entered a, the best Iglaterra lot, 10, 10 cartons or five bags, a small, tiny lot, usually the Bourbon Canario section, uh, absolutely hand-selected. That goes into the C of E, and we've got, we had 85.87 when the qualifier was 86. We were <laughs> shy by literally fractions. Yeah. And then last year the qualifier went to 87 and I think we got again of the high 85s or into the 86s. And we always keep that lot separate for you if it obviously doesn't go into the auction and so far we haven't quite made it, but that lot is the particularly special one from the farm. But yeah, every, we're not strip picking, there's no mechanicals, it's too steep, it's hand picked, hand selected. We have a pulper so we can do the pulp naturals and we can do naturals and that's what we do. Um, so we keep it's very traditional for, for Brazil to do pulp naturals and that kind of yeah, it just works there, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And and where the farm's located, if you look at it from Google Earth, you can kind of see um, it's kind of on the side of a old super volcano. That's right. Know, that kind exactly. of back in the day would have formed all of that terrain there. Do you think that adds to the? Um, adds to the possibilities and the potential of the farm by having that kind of soil and that kind of area? Um, or, or do you just think it makes it harder because you can't strip pick and you, you've got to send pickers there to be going Steve, I think that, super, that caldera, that super volcano that you can see from Google Earth where Pulsos is in the inside and then you've got, remember the Christ up at the top that looks yeah. down, that's from the, um, from the very highest point. And then as we go out towards Inglaterra, you go out over the rim of the supervolcano and down a little bit the other side. Yeah, it makes for very hilly, rugged terrain. It's not the slightest bit flat, um, not even close. And I do believe, without any shadow of a doubt, that it makes for that richer um, kind of volcanic soil. I mean, it's a long time ago. We're not talking about recent history, talking about eons ago. But if you think about some parts of probably Indonesia where there was these massive eruptions in uh, in North Sumatra and places, Aceh and places like that, so giant, those kind of turmoils lead to this enormously rich soil. And also that those very special mineral springs, because you, you know the old story about Gabriel de Carvalho Diaz's family, they all lived into their hundreds. All, his aunts, grandmother, great aunts, they're all, they're all a hundred and something years old. There's gotta be, I, I, I said there's something to it, you know, whether it's the water, the good life or whatever. Um, but it's amazing, and I think, yeah, there's some drawbacks. We don't get a harvester on that, that, that piece of land ever. But, 
Yeah, is it rich? Yes, and is there a bunch of farms from around there that have been in the CAV, up of excellence? Yes. Um, last year, I visited a little producer over the other side, and he goes, oh, that's your farm up there, and it's kind of the other side of Postal, so I'm looking up, and I can see the eucalyptus along the tree line, and he had a beautiful farm up there. You know, it's not all big producers in Brazil. Some of the guys five and four out there. Sure, some of them are giants, but there's a lot of medium and small producers, too. So as, as somebody that really wants to own his own farm one day, what would your advice be to me on, on owning a farm? Steve, if I'm really honest, just be realistic about it. Don't do it thinking you're going to live in Shangri-La. Don't do it <laughs> thinking you're going to be coining it in because I can tell you at the best of days, the farm breaks about even. That's yeah. honestly the case. There's always a patio to fix up. The pulper needs replacing or modernizing. You got labor for the pruning, or then there is no labor. Not now because of the problem, but they, you know, labor. A lot of people have moved. We need pickers. We can't just pick with the, the family on the farm. We need people to come in for the harvest time. So you have to get pickers in. Everybody in Brazil complains about that. Uh, a lot of farms mechanize because there isn't enough labor, not because yeah. it's just idleness. Yeah. It isn't enough labor. So my advice: Listen, it sounds like a dream. It sounds fantastic, and I've become far more aware of agriculture when people start to tell me, oh, my crop yield, oh, about this and that. You sometimes get glazing over, but not anymore. I say, listen, mate, don't be telling me those stories because I, I know them so well. So all the challenges, weather, I lost some to frost once. It was so bizarre that, you know, a frost like burned 100 trees or 200. It's not frost didn't like just like wipe everything out. But one section of the Bourbon Canaria was just burnt just burnt and black. And the, those things are coming at you every drought, frost, uh, infrastructure, uh, pickers. So yeah, it's fantastic. I'd love to get into the Cup of Excellence just for the, for the challenge of it and for the excitement of it. But you know, it's been really, really interesting, but it's no kind of, um, I don't know, as I say, it's not like living in Shangri-La, all wonderful. Be realistic, that's what my, my advice is. And what are the, what are the long term plans for the farm? So have you got kind of a do you plan on putting more coffee on there at some point? Do you plan on ever putting a house on there so you can live there? Like what 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 are you, what are your long term plans for it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's a really good question. I quite like that program on uh, on TV called Grand Designs, where they go and see somebody's house being built in uh, Warwickshire or you know some fabulous place that was an old factory or something like that, and they what a challenge or what a project it might be to be, build a beautiful farmhouse on the on the land there which is actually quite close to a nice city yeah. quite close to Pozos. it's not out in the absolute middle of nowhere um, i thought about using it as a resource for london school of coffee to have some cabanas and some like places built where people could go and visit as part of a schooling curriculum yeah say listen hang out on the farm get into the forest go pick the coffee uh explore take the bus into town and all that kind of thing. So I have some of those kind of plans, which have probably been there for a little while. Uh, obviously my wife's Brazilian, so you know, she, she quite you know, would love, to, love to, to do that. So that, that, could, that is there, there's a possibility, but I don't want to build something and never use it, if you see what I mean, just like yeah, after sure. So um, it's something where I go to Brazil once or twice a year and, and, and you know, know the farm very well, but yeah, I, yeah, you could say I'm a custodian. On the longer term, could it be a place to have a beautiful home built? Yes, it, it could do. Yeah. You know, the view, the best place would be way up at the top, but that's pretty inaccessible. But the view there is 
Please. Have, you, have you not got the Volkswagen Beetle still to drive up there in? That got stolen. <laughs> Seriously. God so damn. instead of a tractor, for people watching, instead of a tractor, Stephen was so tight, he bought a Volkswagen Beetle instead, and somebody stole it. <laughs> but you know what they we use now is a buggy. They call it a gaiola, it's, it, which is, translates literally to cage, but it's a buggy. And the thing can carry, it's like a doom buggy, and it's really, the thing about the farm is, it's got to be robust. I mean, I, yeah. I wanted to get a quad bike. That I'd like to get a four by four because that would be really handy for getting around. And you could probably cart some coffee on it too, like yeah. a four by four quad bike. But um, yeah, the, the Beetle got nicked. Uh, now we use a Gaiola, uh, this doom buggy cage thing. It's got like a cage on it. Uh, but I'd like to get a quad bike. That would be great. <laughs> great for visits. And you know the beautiful rock. You know the picnic rock. Some beautiful flat rock which looks out of the whole farm. It's just like it's. No, we have some. We have some great pictures from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, well, I think one time I was there, my, my hair was red. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, we have some really good pictures yeah, on that do. rock. Some and, ones, yeah. Uh, yeah, some really good times on the farm. It is a beautiful place, and I think um, it, it's long been one of my. Uh, I never say it to your face normally, but it's been one of my favourite Brazils just because we've been along on that that story with it and I've, yes, I've seen the progress of the farm by having those investments in um, yeah, ag agronomy and fertilizer um, and new plantings and it's just been a really fun journey um, yeah. seeing that coffee improve over the years and seeing it get closer and closer to being what I think would be a, a very worthy of excellence uh, kind of auction coffee so um, yeah no it's been really fun and um, I'm very grateful that we're able to share it. Uh, yeah, no, it's, great. It's, a fabulous, it's a fabulous story. The best stories are the real ones, not some uh, marketing gizmo made up. It's a tremendous story that has been, you guys have been supporting the coffee since day one. And now here we are 13 years later. It's, you know, and uh, the coffee's come along, that's for sure. And yeah, it would be a nice, what would not call justification, what would be kind of a, light, a nice remark if, because we know we're close. We know, we're that close. And it's all about numbers in the end. It's about fractions. Yeah. Now, in the old days, we would have qualified for Cup of Excellence because the bar was 84. We would have walked into it. Now it's 87. So, you know, it's... No, that's fantastic. And it really is a good story. Stephen, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Um, I, I hope that you get to go to the farm soon and uh, get, get back to some kind of normality of seeing Brazil and, uh, uh, and, and traveling the world. But for now, thank you for joining us on Skype. Thank you. And Take care. Thanks a lot, Steve. Cheers. Uh, let's go and do the tasting. Okay, so you join me here in the park. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of some atmospheric shots while I uh, pour my coffee up from my flask that I've brewed at home and brought here. So I'm in the town of Uppsala. Uh, oh, it's a city actually, city of Uppsala, very big university town uh, to the north of Stockholm and um, somewhere I've not really spent a lot of time so I thought I would come and have a wander around the park here and drink a coffee with you guys. So let's get into the coffee. And this is very, very classical um, Brazil for me. It's got that kind of like milk chocolate dried fruit so I'm thinking like dried cherries 
um, but a real nuttiness to it. The dominant flavour in this for me is the nuts that run through it. It's got a beautiful pecan uh, kind of nuttiness to it, and it's just a really easy, quaffable coffee. The chat that you've seen me and uh, me and Steve have just was uh, we were talking before off camera about how much we love Brazils just because they're coffee coffees. They're very simple to drink. They're not acidity driven. And the beautiful thing about them, and the most beautiful thing, is the window of opportunity of getting them right. So if you screw up a geisha or a Kenyan or an Ethiopian, it tastes awful. This I can stick in a flask and I can bring to the park and I can enjoy it. And that's kind of my thinking behind coming out and doing this with you is that, you know, this is a coffee that it's hard to get it wrong. It really is difficult to get it wrong. Thank you for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed this week's uh, In My Mug. I'm really enjoying this kind of getting out and about and doing things different. I think it's because I was locked up for so long. Hope you're enjoying them too. Thank you for joining me as always. And do remember, life is too short for bad coffee.